Pretty soon after I arrived here, I started printing off copies of the sermons so that uh, those of you who wanted to follow along while I was preaching or wanted to take it home with you, you could. Uh, I started that practice for a couple of individuals at our church who were hard of hearing, and it's become something that uh, has been well-received and appreciated. Today, I did not print any copies of the sermons. It's a little different, a little different day for us here Uh, But I also wanted to say that most sermons that I write, most sermons that I preach from this pulpit, I I don't ever do so for an individual. It's not like Betty Harefield came to my office this week to complain about something, and so I said, oh, I'm going to write a sermon just for Betty, but I'm going to blanket it in this kind of communal language. Betty doesn't ever need a sermon written just for her. But the sermons I write, I try to make them as general as possible so they can apply to as many people as possible, which is also why I post them online so that other people might read them and and glean God's word from them. Uh, But today, this sermon's different. This sermon isn't for the world. This sermon's for you, and this one's for me. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable And glorious joy. Would you please pray with me? May the words in my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I believe the existence of a church is a miracle. Because we live in a world so steeped in the need for scientific and historical and verifiable fact that the existence of a community based on a person we have never seen is nothing short of a miracle. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ indeed. However, this profound miracle is not limited to our contemporary world's desire for things seen and observed. According to the New Testament, only a scattering of people ever saw the resurrected Jesus after that first Easter. The disciples in the upper room, that smallish crowd heard his teachings. There was a handful of people who saw the ascension. And it was from them, from their witness, the church was born. Those people were filled by the power of the Spirit to live out the resurrection in their lives. And it shined brightly wherever they went. They went on to tell their friends and their families what they had experienced. They wrote letters to different church communities. They traveled around sharing the good news. And today, I'm sure that each of us can think of someone in our life who was like those first disciples. We can remember someone whose faith shined brightly wherever they went. And it is in large part because of them that people like you and me are receiving the outcome of our faith the salvation of our souls. Today is a a very strange day in the life of the church. Clergy and church folk often call today Low Sunday. It's a terrible name. I can't stand it. And people refer to it as such because traditionally the first Sunday after Easter is the lowest attended church service in the year. There is almost an unavoidable feeling of lowness after the highness of a packed church on Easter, only to be filled with the likes of us one week later. The resurrection of Jesus was not like that. No, 
It grabbed hold of people in a way never seen before. The inexplicable, unexplainable, uncontainable event of the resurrection resulted in glorious joy. Like dancing in the streets, like laughing on the floor, like tears in the eyes, like playing Dave Brubeck in church kind of joy. Joy that changed the fabric of reality forever and ever. Years ago, I read a book by a guy named Donald Miller titled Blue Like Jazz. And in it, he describes his relationship with jazz music like this. He says, I never liked jazz music because jazz music doesn't resolve. But I was outside a theater in Portland one night when I saw a man playing a saxophone. I stood there for 15 minutes watching him play, and he never opened his eyes. After that, I loved jazz music. Sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. It's as if they're showing you the way. Sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. As I said earlier, I love jazz music. To me, there are few things that are as wonderful as sitting down listening to an old Dave Brubeck, 33 and a third. But I used to hate jazz. I hated how confusing it was, how unmelodic it could be, how indefinable it was. I hated jazz music until I started playing jazz. It was about 12 years ago that my high school band needed a drummer and I signed up. I played Christian rock songs every Sunday for my church and I thought, how hard could it be to play jazz? It was really, really hard. But every day I sat behind the drum kit until my fingers were blistered and calloused. I watched my peers hold back smiles while they were blowing into their horns and while their fingers were rolling over the keys. In response to their love for the craft, I started to listen to jazz in my spare time and I tapped along on tabletops and on my thighs. I immersed myself into the strange new world of jazz and before long, I fell in love. I fell in love with the wonderful solo runs that were never the same twice. I fell in love with the strange time signatures and weird rhythms. I fell in love with the genre of music that I hated because I saw other people who loved it. How many things in our life are just like that? How many of our hobbies and cultural obsessions were born out of someone else's love and obsession? More than four years ago, I received a phone call about coming here. I was with Lindsay. We were in New York visiting my, at the time, soon-to-be sister-in-law, when a familiar voice on the other side of the phone said, The bishop has discerned, Taylor, that your gifts and graces will be most fruitful at St. John's United Methodist Church in Stanton, Virginia. To which I said, "Um, I think it's actually pronounced Staunton. (laughs) Yeah, never made that mistake again. And so I looked up the church website. I searched for any information I could find about you on Google. And I started praying. And I'll admit that after checking the statistical data and other relevant materials I could find online, I thought, how in the world am I going to love these people? I don't know anything about Stanton. I don't know anything about the community. I don't know a single thing about this church. And then at the end of June in 2013, I showed up here for my first Sunday. 
Linda Pancake read, Oh, the places you'll go from Dr. Seuss to our children in the children's message. I smiled at all of you and I led us through worship. I almost forgot to take up the offering. And when I walked down the aisle after my very first benediction, I let out an unnecessarily loud and deep, (gasps) I knew absolutely nothing about what it meant to be a pastor or even what it meant to serve God in this place. But I started watching you. Like a saxophone player on a street corner, I watched you close your eyes and make beautiful music in your lives. I saw your love of God through Marshall Kirby, bear-hugging every person that has ever walked into this church, whether they wanted it or not. Through Pam Huggins, never-ending and forever-repeating stories about how God has showed up in her life. Through Alma Driver's limitless knowledge of who came to this church, where they used to sit and what they were like. Through Kim Harris meeting through every single concrete solutions property manager in the city of Stanton to help us figure out what to do with our sidewalks. Through George Harris's insistence on standing next to me after church to say goodbye to everyone as if he were the associate pastor. He was. We didn't pay him for it, though. Through Diane Wright, keeping Hallmark in business by sending people cards for no other reason than the fact that she wants them to know that God loves them. Through Grace Daughtry, spilling grape juice all over herself while attempting to serve communion. Through Amanda Riley, coming here early every Sunday morning to teach our children about the Bible. Through Rick Merriman's brilliant use of timing and rhythms through the hymns we sing and the anthems we hear. Through Dick Pancake joining this church after refusing to become a United Methodist for decades. (laughs) Through Jerry Berry's theologically probing comments offered after every single sermon. Through Ken Wright crawling on his hands and knees to pick the weeds on the front lawn. Through Eric Fitzgerald and Mike Hammer's willingness to get dressed up like fools for a children's message whenever I asked them. Through Sue Volskis' continued calls to make sure that everything was going well. Through Leah Pack's pats on the back after all the good and all the bad sermons. And through Bob Pack mocking me from the back every week. Through Dave Fitzgerald offering to preach a better sermon than I ever offered in this church. Through every rolled sleeve to clean dishes. Through every casserole provided for a family in grief. Through every committee meeting, every Bible study, every circle gathering, every mission trip, every hospital visit, every picnic. I literally could go on and on and on with the myriad of ways I've seen God's love through your love. But I would break my rule of keeping sermons under 15 minutes. What I'm trying to say is this. I learned what it means to love God through all of you. For the last four years, I have been blown away by your remarkable capacity to love one another and the Lord. All of you are the reason that even though I haven't seen Jesus, I love him. Because I see his love in you. 
That is why I can rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. You practice resurrection daily. You are receiving the outcome of your faith. And salvation is here. You have taught me what it means to be an Easter people. Because as Easter people, there is a not yet to the fullness of God's salvation, but there is also a now to the anticipation and joy of that fulfillment. And that alone is reason enough for us to sing and praise God. That alone is reason enough to be filled with a hope that does not disappoint. That alone is reason enough to believe that God really does make all things new. By the Lord's great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In the last four years, I have watched people who were spiritually dead be resurrected to new life through your faithfulness. I have seen you surround people in the midst of sorrow when they needed it the most. I have witnessed your faith through the all, all the crazy things I've asked you to do in responding to the word and worship, like reconciling with people with whom you were angry, like burning palm branches every year as a commitment to leaving behind our broken identities, like even dancing in the pews one Sunday to a Justin Timberlake song in anticipation of the joy of the promised resurrection. Truly I tell you, God has brought this church back to life through you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the United Methodist Church, clergy vow to go where they are sent. When I was finishing seminary, I lived in that promise when I received a phone call about coming here, and I embraced it. I came here not knowing what it would look like, how it would feel, or whether or not it would even be fruitful. And I can say with every fiber of my being, all right, I'm going to keep it together. I'm going to keep it together. Every fiber of my being, the greatest privilege of my life has been serving this church. Man. But the spirit moves. The spirit blows where it wants. And over the last few months, the leadership of this church and I have discerned that the time has come for me to respond to the Spirit yet again in a new place. And the Spirit is calling a new pastor to serve the needs of St. John's. And it's in responding to that prayer and that discernment, our bishop has projected to appoint me to a different church uh, at the beginning of July. I am grateful beyond any words I can put in a sermon for the ways you have showed me how to love God. I am grateful that I get to share the way you have loved God and have loved me in a strange and new place. And I have nothing but hope and faith for this church because this church will continue to pour out God's love on the last and the least and the lost because that, my friends, is who you are. I rejoice I rejoice in the knowledge that God is doing a new thing yet again for this wonderful, beautiful church. 
By the Lord's great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a time of new birth for St. John's. A new pastor, a new chapter, a new beginning. On this side of the resurrection, we are bold to proclaim our joy that we have a God who makes all things new. I love you all very much. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Would you all please pray with me? Oh Lord, some people might call this Sunday Low Sunday, and that is a terrible name. It should be High Sunday, because the glorious joy of Easter resounds over and over again each and every Sunday. But we know today, O oh Lord, is not just Low Sunday or High Sunday. Today is also Announcement Sunday. And we pray for churches all over the Virginia Conference who this morning are learning whether their pastor is staying or going. We pray for the churches that will receive us and for the churches we depart from, that all people might know and remember that the pastor doesn't matter, that the church does not belong to them, it doesn't even belong to us because it's yours. We pray, O oh Lord, that your spirit would continue to move and breathe and blow in this church through the lives of the people here and through my own. That the love with which they have showed me, the love that comes from you, would become incarnate in everything that we do this day and all days. And all God's people say, Amen.